Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Property Hustler Show. My name is Andrew, and today Ping and I are joined by Michael Ponty. He is a well-seasoned real estate investor with a focus on multi-residential units. He specializes in raising capital, and he is a mentor and inspiration to many people getting to the real estate game through his savvy investor community. So, Michael, great to have you on the show. It's a pleasure. You know, I've been watching you guys for years, and it's an honored to be in this set. So, thanks for the, thanks for the invitation. Can you walk us through what you're looking at when you're exploring a uh, different market? Well, some of the biggest things, obviously jobs is one of the biggest aspects, but it, it starts off with me is migration because it, it has to come from there because I want to see population growth no matter what. So when I see these people starting to kind of move in, it those are kind of first signs of, of rental increases that are going on. And that's actually one of the indicators that I'm paying attention to is what's happening with the rent rates. And if rent rates are starting to go up, uh, that's like, okay, why is that happening? Why are we seeing rents going up? And that's usually kind of an indicator that people are starting to move in. And, and that's what I want to see for starting to see some of the trends. And then with that being said is what is some of the diversification of some of the economy that's there? Because I like, I don't like these tiny, tiny markets. I like markets that have some stuff to, substance to it. So during challenging times in whatever industry, say it's a, a lumber industry and things go sideways, um, it's not a one 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 trick pony. They have lots of diversity to to the economy, and at the same time, I do like that younger generation. I'm looking for those people that are kind of be moving in because they become renters first, and then they become homeowners shortly after that when they start kind of establishing families. But for me, the biggest thing that I'm paying attention to there's there's a few of them. So number one is migration is understanding why understanding is migration happening, and then the second part is understanding why that's happening. So is it jobs? And for a lot of these markets right now, like let's say for example, Alberta, it's affordability. That's the number one driver that people are moving there for is because I can buy a place significantly less than what I can own here in Vancouver or in Toronto. And so now guess what? My life gets a little bit easier, right? That, that, mm -hmm. that becomes mm -hmm. just the way it is. And so they're just looking at this and like, I don't have a mortgage when I come here. I'm not feeling the pain that I'm feeling right now. Does it make sense for us to do that? I can own maybe a vacation property in Mexico or whatever. Now it gives them more options for people to kind of explore. Um, so those are some of the key things. I like it, it's a big one. And, and and in the past, like if I use Alberta as an example, right now it's affordability, but in the past it's always been oil. Like right. that's why they had their big booms yeah. and busts, right? And so that was kind of interesting, right? That's so. actually something I want to touch on because you mentioned you you like it when uh, when a place offers some substance, yes. right? So can we touch on what substance means? Because the oil sands that was one of the one of the reasons for the migration that happened uh, yep. uh, earlier in those those years ago. But when that sort of uh, when the incentives wore down and when other competition came into play, mm -hmm. uh, the market took a serious downturn, huge downturn, and yep. a lot of people lost. Yes, right. So when you're seeing substance, it means that they have to have something more than that. So what would you describe as substance? Well, I think for, you know, if we use the example of Alberta, it's like, what did they do? They were so dependent on on just oil. That, that was just their thing. And they came to the conclusion very quickly. No, I shouldn't say quickly. It took some time. But truthfully, is they had to diversify. Mm -hmm. So of tech, they had to kind of get, you know, really start to bring in some more major manufacturing. So it was obviously seeing Amazon fulfillment centers and a lot of other different organizations started to move in. They attracted a lot of new businesses and new corporations to set up shop for head offices to attract people. So for me, I want to see those types of things. It's kind of exactly what you're seeing down even in California, where you're seeing that big shift over to, to, to Texas, right? Because they're just like, you know, why pay all these taxes and bring, why not just bring them down to Texas where they can actually go and save a lot of, um, uh, save a lot of taxes, um, compared to what they're repaying. And so, and the affordability is much different, uh, much better there too. So those are some of the things that I look for is I want to see diversification in, 
in jobs. So where are those jobs? What are the jobs being announced? And and again, if I'm looking at diversification, it's not just one industry. What other industries are they trying to attract? Tech. And the one thing that I find that's quite interesting now too, and this is a blessing during COVID, is this this ability to be able to work. Not you don't have to live close to where you work anymore. You people are much more accepting of remote working, working. more remote working. So. Yeah. You know, you can live a couple hours away now. You don't have to go to the office as frequently as you have. And so now jobs that were te- technically designated for Vancouver can be really anywhere. And I think a lot of uh, employers are looking at it and say, I don't have to just look at this smaller pool of, of people to hire. I've now got the entire country realistically to look for, for, for really good quality candidates. So it's a, it's actually a benefit for both sides to be very honest. So, so if you can see these types of industries, uh, being welcomed and coming into yeah. play in, in different areas, then you would define that as having the, the area having a little more substance and some kind of diversification. Yes. So there's a little more long-term stability, less of an inclination for people to migrate out should any of the key industries take a turn. Correct. But that's not always guaranteed. And so that's the one thing about this business that we're in, in, in this, in this real estate space is sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're not. And, and that's just the truth of it is, and the important part for us real estate investors is we need to be constantly monitoring this on a regular basis. So as things change or the economy changes or rules or policies change, as we were talking earlier on, it's just like, you have to be able to kind of pivot. And at the same time, you got to also be constantly aware that, Hey, you, you need to make some decisions. So like you were saying earlier, when you know, Saudi Arabia kind of opened up the oil taps and and, and really impacted Alberta. You know, we kind of, we saw that. We saw what, you know, when we tried to get that inclining at the very beginning, it's like, this is not going to be good. And so we really assessed our portfolio at that point in time and made some serious decisions. And we exited a bunch of our assets. And thank God we did during that time because we're like, okay, we took our cash, took our pound of flesh out of the property and and we moved on and we, and we held into a very strong cash position. And we took advantage of that again when things started to kind of go down, right? And so it's important to kind of understand when we say kind of long-term investing, you know, I think real estate always has a shelf life at some point, you know, back in the days, you know, I think I can only speak for my folks is you buy and hold for 20 or 30 years and that's just the way you do it. And yeah, you can always be successful. Time will always heal a lot of the wounds, but, but truthfully is, you know, if you're trying to do this and scale your business, it does have a shelf life at some point in time. And you want to make sure that you're repurposing that capital for, to do other things. And maybe it is in some different locations that are going to be in different markets that are performing better than others, right? So it's just what it is. Like even when we saw New Brunswick a couple of years ago, like that was just such a hot market. It was insane. You know, we got in too early and, and, we, and we did very, very well. But then when Halifax, uh, you know, they, they made their announcements of rent policy changes. And yeah. for us, that was our first indicator. Like, eh, I think this is probably going to get rolled out. And shortly after it did, and again, very similar, we made the decision to pull out a lot of our assets at that point in time just to, to be safe. Right? How are you able to actually pull back that or sell the, the asset that quickly uh, when you notice that there's a downturn coming up? Yeah. Because asset is, is like, especially in real estate, it's not yeah. that easy to actually just offload. No. And, and, you know, I think real estate doesn't turn like that on a dime. It, it takes mm-hmm. time for that to start to evolve. But by kind of watching a lot of these indicators in advance and you're seeing some of this stuff, the closer you are to the very early stages of seeing turbulence in the water, those are the ones you want to be as reactionary as you possibly can. Is just being observant, understand changes, and I and that's where it starts. Is constantly by constantly observing what's happening in your market, your economy. You know, be it vacancy rates and employment rates and immigration and all of these things that are going on in the economy. 
it just gives you a better perspective and it takes time to kind of observe that. I've been doing this for 20 years now. So for me, I've seen the cycles a few times. And so for us, that's this, one of the key things that I like to pay attention to. So to your point is it's not something that you're going to sell like within a couple months. Sometimes it takes a little while, but you know, you could be in a slight decline by the time you actually sell the property. And you know, we might be in a situation where you don't, but you want to be a little bit more, uh, number one aware. And at the same time, you want to be responsive when, when you start to see some of those situations happening, regardless if you're selling it or you're just planning for the potential challenges that are going to be ahead. Like even for us, um, one of our properties that we held in Edmonton during 2015, 2016, during that challenging time, um, we made a lot of money. Uh, we had a lot of equity in the property and we made it, you know, we we're kind of looking at uh, this property and like, should we sell it? Should we not? We decided to keep it because it was a, a, a solid concrete building. And so we had so much capital in it. We thought we would take a lot of the capital out. We paid actually all our investors back their entire investment back. So now they're in for nothing. So we had to kind of go in for, with, through some turbulent times that I'm not going to lie. You know, we, we vacancies were up at around 12% and that was Whoa. high, mm-hmm. really, really high. Yeah. And so with that being said, we, you know, we have to keep the communication going and say, this is just something that we're going to have to kind of deal with. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge for the couple of years, but at the end of the day, you know, most of that capital was paid back. So in, in a lot of cases, we try to get in a strong cash position to be prepared for other future opportunities, be it in Alberta or somewhere else. And that's what we did was we moved a lot of money from the Alberta marketplace and we went somewhere else, which is back in Atlantic Canada. Now, how do you balance between pivoting versus overreacting? Because COVID time, that's where mm. we took a lot of it, uh, advantage on, you know, investors who are, who are kind of overreacting uh, to, the, to, to the marketplace. For example, the retail, like commercial building, office building, we actually acquired three buildings like that because the people were just selling at under 60% of the, the, the market rent rate. Mm-hmm. And then after we acquired it, things change back and then all of a sudden like we start building up our equity pretty quickly similar things that happen in student rentals as well people were selling desperately because the campus wasn't open yeah so how do you balance these two that's a great question and i think you got to look at your situation individually is like understand what the potential risk is going to be for you and what's the potential upside to this thing is it a long-term situation or not like even what we're dealing with with interest rates do i believe that we're going to have these interest rates today two years from now Probably not. I think probably we'll start to see some easing at some point in time. So, you know, my reaction to this, am I, am I quickly anxiously selling my portfolio because interest rates are high? I'm like, no, you know, how do we pivot? How do we manage through this today? Where And what's the opportunity in the next couple of years? Do I see things starting to kind of improve? And so, you know, you got to be really asking yourself how the, ask yourself about the situation that you are currently in and what you're able to sustain or not. So if you're in a situation where you're feeling a lot of pain right now, which a lot of people are, they're, you know, they're, there's got properties that are below market value, but they're losing out every single month. Are you able to sustain that for the long term? And so, you know, really ask yourself, it's maybe a year or two years of this. Can you do that? That will give you the answer that you're needing to answer for yourself. And then mm-hmm. to, to, to the other point is when we talk about pivoting, it's like, we looked at some of these assets and like we see all this capital is there potential risk that we may lose some of this capital is this the best decision right now to take you know we know what we we've, we've got now should we take our money and run in some cases and that's always been something that's been really stay true to me is i'm not going to always wait for the absolute absolute top and sometimes the decision is you know what we've made some good money on this thing maybe it's time to kind of take the money off the table to be honest and that has proven to me so many more times the right decision than the wrong decision is always trying to wait and wait and wait. And sometimes the right decision is we've made money. We know what we've done. It's time to take the money off the table. 
why continue with that extra risk if we don't really need to? Yeah, creates a compound effect too. Totally. Yeah. You should go say that to some people at the casinos. <laughs> <laughs> Realistically. You know what? Uh, I do want to point out, for the, for the people listening and for their benefit, I feel that your thought process really illustrates a very solid understanding as to what it means to be an investor. Even at the conference that we're at, I think the questions that people ask sometimes illustrates a lack of understanding of if they want to become an investor, what should they be doing? You are doing, you have an understanding of what you can control and what you can't control. Exactly. And the fluidity has to do with what you can see. Investors, really, the, the work that they're doing often is raising capital, which you were talking about yesterday. And the other thing that they do is they pay attention to what's going on in the economy. Right, An understanding of the economy actually will make you understand what factors may be happening that are outside of your control. Totally. Where if you see a bus coming, you know to step out of the way. Yes. Yeah. Right? And there are other things that you can control, like sell, pivot, buy. What are you going to do? Yep. And this is you, you've illustrated a great understanding of that. So people, people have to balance these things out. And I think a lot of investors try to control too many things. Yes. And by definition, investing is relatively passive. I feel people should take a message from this book and just understand where they're, what they're going to control and what they're not yeah. going to control. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. There, there's things that you just absolutely can't control. And again, we were just talking about earlier, you know, tenancy board. There's, there's things you really can't control that it takes 12 months to kind of facilitate. You can fight it. It's a challenge. You know? So how do we manage through that situation? And maybe the, one of the things you manage through that situation is maybe I don't invest in this market where that is a challenge. Maybe I need to go somewhere else where that is no longer an obstacle for myself. And those are some of the decisions that you have to make in this, in this business. And, you know, I think for a lot of people to your point, you know, Andrew, it's just like, understand why you got in this business in the first place. Yeah. That it has to start there. It shouldn't be this big emotional game. It should always be the numbers first and foremost. And I, mean, I know a lot of people may not agree with me in this and that's okay. But truthfully is I got into this to have a better financial future for myself. And I would imagine a lot of people did this the same thing. You know, I got better things to do than deal with tenants and management and all that stuff. It's never a fun stuff. It's fun stuff to do. But for me, I'm doing it to help kind of provide for my family, build a legacy for my family, have a lifestyle that I was trying to accomplish for myself. And that's what's striving me for. So every asset, everything that I buy, everything that I'm looking at, it's always with the understanding, is this getting me closer to my objective? Yes or no. That's it. It's yeah. not a real difficult thing. Well, you've done a very good thing here. You talk a lot about clarity, being clear on your goals. And you say it doesn't have to be so emotional. Some of the things you described there, these are, these are I feel, emotionally driven goals. Mm -hmm. However, you've translated them into numbers where you can say, what do I need to get yes. these things? What do I need to get there? Because people end up giving themselves all kind of financial goals and then they kind of end up overlooking the why they were doing these things in the first place. Like sure. there's more time for family and then they start making enough money. They have enough money to spend time with their family. They just don't do it they anymore. Don't do it. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? it. And they end up buying themselves more headaches. And then people find themselves unhappy. I see so many investors. They do. They they get into real estate to be to attain some kind of freedom. Mm. And then they just end up unhappy. They yes. end up miserable. And they totally. just they're doing stuff that based off of social media, what they see other people doing, yeah. and then it's no longer them. Yeah. So clarity, huge. I, I love the fact that you focus on yeah, that. Yeah, and I think the other part to it, and I see a lot of that too. It's it's funny you say that. You know, they'll, they'll get to a point where they're scaling their businesses quite well. They're doing really well in some cases, but again, they've just transitioned from one job or maybe now they've got two jobs, two full-time jobs, and, and they've not really taken the time uh, to actually invest in their own business business to give them even more time and that that's the thing you know they become entrepreneurs not just into investors as well and they don't know what the heck an entrepreneur is or what they do and, and it's funny you know you guys are you guys are entrepreneurs and and the the best success is to work yourself out of a job to be very honest with you so you've built this amazing portfolio and and you're 
you're busy and you're on social media and you're doing all these great things. But is that really what the intended goal was? Is that really what the goal was? Or is it just do the time thing that you were looking for with you and your family? Now it's just like, now I've built this, this, this business. How do I start to work myself out? And it's like reinvest it back into you so you can do these things. And now you've got this working machine that works really well for you too. How do you balance between burying a property versus selling the property? Because I actually like what you said about you don't have mm. a lot of emotional attachment to no. each yeah. asset. Mm -hmm. Whereas a, a lot of investors that we talked to, they were like, hey, listen, this is a long-term uh, play, mm -hmm. right? So I want to hold my asset as for as long as I, I can. I don't want to be selling any of that. So, uh, and to these people, their exit strategy is on the refinancing of the project, mm. right? So how do you balance between, hey, let me, since I have, I've seen enough equity from the asset, I want to actually take it out, reallocate it to another market mm -hmm. versus just selling this asset. It's kind of a mixed bag sometimes. It just it just really, you know, sometimes it is a little bit of a feel, a feel. It's it's I can't really, really explain it. Is is the numbers really kind of dictate some of the things that 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 tell me what to do. Like for example, you know, this one property that we bought in Moncton and, and it was a planning to be a it was a solid property, like solid. Like it was a great strategy for Burr. And you know, rents were just like less than 50% under market value. We just bought this thing at an extremely great rate. It was unbelievable. So that was the plan. We were going to buy it and present it to our investors. This is going to be probably a five, six year hold. This is really what the strategy is. And we're going to refinance that after a certain period of time. And then we were going to pull our capital out and move that somewhere else, right? We had kind of a, a layout, but then as I was sharing earlier, it was like, okay, you know what? There was indicators of this rent control. And I was like, okay, I don't like this. So the decision was we weren't going to do any renovations, like zero, because we didn't have time because we felt time was against us. And that we got kind of this Again, this happened in Halifax. This didn't happen in New Brunswick, but just this feeling that this is going to get rolled out. We're like, why take the chance? We knew what we had, but as soon if we had rent control, that was going to kill our plan completely. So the decision was raise the rents as fast as we can. It wasn't going to be the top of the market. We knew we weren't going to, but we were going to get it high enough to kind of get to a point where we were able to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And then we sold it and we sold it in six months. Bought it, wow. sold it. We bought it for nine hundred fifty thousand dollars. We sold it for one point five in six oh, months, and we did no renovations. So the point, my point is, and shortly after that, guess what happened? Rent controls came in, and so that that's kind of the best answer I can kind of give you is like sometimes you have to mm -hmm. make some decisions based on 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 a feel, like in regards to to what we want to do. Um, the other part is I have another property that we are in South Edmonton as well. Another great property is performing exceptionally well. It's done very very well for us. Rents we're continuing to raise rents, and I've got. So, you know, you're honest going to love this 1.94% for another two years left on oh. this mortgage. Okay. Oh. It's fixed. fixed That's okay? awesome. And so we've, again, cash flowing like a pig, like you would not believe. And so part of what I'm looking at, this was a longer term hold. And I've always said that this property is one of my forever homes, forever properties, this, this apartment building. But as time kind of progresses, I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, what do I anticipate in the future? Okay. Right now we're not, we're seeing a slowdown in regards to people buying properties because it's becoming very unaffordable at this stage of the game because it, it's cost more, it's, it's more expensive, mm -hmm. but I'm also in the belief that, you know, and again, this is Mike Ponty's crystal ball. So take it for what it is. It shouldn't be advice, but I'm just sharing you what I, the way I see it is I think there's a lot of pent up demand for people to buy. And so I think, you know, when you start to see one or two drops of rate increases coming down, I don't think there's going to be this massive resurgent, but I do see people starting to get back into the market. So my mm -hmm. question that I always ask myself is, how is this going to impact the rental market now? You know, am I going to still get some of those rates that I had before in, in increases? And so when I look at the value of this particular property, 
I've got a couple things really going for myself. I've got the high, I've already increased the valuation of the building itself. There's a lot of equity in this property. This is a CMHC mortgage. And I've also got something that is very, very appealing, which is an assumable 1.94% mortgage as well. So this is a giant dangling carrot that somebody might want to take advantage of. So, you know, these, these are the questions that you ask. And like, mm -hmm. is maybe this the time to take my rent money and move it to something else? Because yeah. here's an opportunity here where somebody will probably pay me more because of that mortgage, that mortgage, yeah. not just even the valuation, but the mortgage. And so that was, those are always the big questions. And so now, you know what I'm saying to myself, I'm probably going to sell it. This, my, this, this thing that I said earlier on was probably going to my, my forever property. Mm -hmm. I might be selling this thing because I think it's just the right time to take this, take this off the table because I just don't, I think you'll start to see a reduction of demand for rentals because people will start to get back in the market. So these hot, hot rate rates that we're getting for rent increases. Do I see that long-term? It's tough to say, but mm -hmm. at the end of the mm -hmm. day, I can only control what I know today and that's what I'm seeing. So Yeah, by the way, I love this type of conversation because this really illustrates how, how you're actually thinking as an investor, right? And a lot of beginner investors or people who are trying to scale up into the multifamily space, they have nowhere to actually understand how you should be thinking about approaching the uh, yeah. asset like this. Back in the day, people always used to say that the way that you find opportunity is by finding just some form of distress. Totally. And if you remember Rich That Poor Dad seminars yeah. when they used to talk about finding somebody going through divorce, finding yeah. somebody who you know yeah. just needs to move quickly. But really, I think what they're often talking about is finding people who are willing to accept a different currency. Yes. And oftentimes what you're exchanging is time. You don't have to do any work to the place. Totally. Uh, we don't have to do that. And even when you're finding landlords who have this, uh, these situations where they have a lot of equity in the property, the currency actually that you're exchanging there is just remove headaches and you can quickly go on vacation. It's, it, you're offering something there totally. and it's a different currency. So it's not so much distress, I feel, that people think they ought to be looking for. It's just what currency can you offer? And it's not always money. Correct. Right. So yeah. with these landlords, I feel like that those are great opportunities. Tons of people, even when they talk about developments, some people want something bigger and they don't have the opportunity to develop their own land. Yeah. And these are great ways where you don't have to do VTB, but you can have them in as a money partner. Yeah, agreed. Right? It's creative. It's looking where there's opportunity and you're you're clearly finding it. Yeah, that's it. And, and they're there. They're all over the place. Like, you know, there's a lot of people saying there's no deals out there. There's tons. Like I even got some of my students. I don't even know how they found these things, but they found them. And I'm like, literally, how did you find this? Like, it's just amazing what they've been able to find in this environment. And what we're dealing with now is we have to do things differently. Like we can't go to the same way that we've always been investing. You have to be very creative. And I think that was a discussion that we had in the event a lot. It was just like, be creative. You got to do things differently. You got to make a lot of connections right now that maybe are really bizarre, you know, and, and I shared this with a few people is my number one deal source, believe it or not. Number one, you think it's my realtor. It's not, it's actually my photographer that takes pictures of multifamily properties that are about to go out for sale. Logan, mm. we're going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, like seriously, he, he is amazing. So he's very well established in this market. And so he's the one that's going to take pictures and it's usually with the landlords or the property managers and stuff like that. And so they're making the connections. He's like, Mike, this property's coming up for sale. Just giving you a heads up. Super nice building, great location. Mm. Uh, here's the owner's number and name. Thank you. Commission him out. Always. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought the photographer or videographer would actually get hired by the realtor first, not the landlord. They would be hired by the the realtor, but I'm getting first access to it. So I that's the thing. I'm getting getting first crack before it actually hits any market whatsoever because they're prepping it for pro formas and stuff like that. So nice. I get first inside deals. The other relationships is obviously property managers, like you, you guys yeah. in space. Like there's always a discussion, myself included. Like whenever I'm selling assets as well, I'm like 
Well, I'm think just giving you a heads up. This is probably going to happen. I've got one property right now. Actually, we just did a little bit of some small rentals. We're probably going to put it up for sale in the next uh, probably a couple of weeks here. And so he's just like, yep, it's done. Perfect. If somebody actually had a relationship with that property manager and said, hey, do you know any properties coming up for sale? Yeah, this one's going to be coming up for sale. You know, And I haven't talked to my realtor about this one yet. I haven't even talked to them. So but that's my point is, have we started kind of creating new different strategies to, to make contacts and connections mm -hmm. and at the same time build those relationships, especially in the multifamily space? There's only so many multifamily properties. And here's the funny thing. It's like when you find an owner of one, they tend to own a bunch of them. And at yeah. some point in time, they're selling one, doing another one. And when you've built those relationships, it's just time. At some point in time, they're going to sell. And so you just want to make sure that you're the first point of contact. You're ultimately touching on the, the networking aspect of it. People go to networking events and try to connect with people. But I feel that the underrated connection, almost like you mentioned the photographer, like why? Why would the photographer exactly. be such a key factor in your deal source? And I think people, if they consider the fact that if you somehow work, we talk about this and you can tell me what your thoughts about this is, the difference between being a business entrepreneur in real estate versus being an investor strictly, where uh, people who are in the business that is somehow in real estate, landscaping, uh, you know, mm. renovations, uh, photographers even, exactly. uh, tons of things, accountants, bookkeepers, property managers, you name it. If you operate in any one of these fields and you connect with people, people know people and that is the real estate network. And that is your pipeline. This is your sales funnel, right? Effectively, this is where you can go and uh, and and get deals. We we've gotten off market deals from some of the most peculiar places, yeah, it's and it's just by being involved, right? So networking events are great, but work in real estate—that's even better, I think. <laughs> you nailed it. Like you know, our business is all about connections. You just never know what's going to happen. You just never know when you're going to get that phone call and say, Mike. I'm in trouble. I've got this property. I need to sell right away. Is this something of an interest to you? And, and I've had those discussions. And how many times even like people that I've worked with and even students in some cases is like, I've got this amazing property, but I've got no money. Can't do anything about it, but I don't want to lose this. What should I do? Well, when are you closing on this? Well, I'm closing in three weeks. How much do you need? Well, a million bucks. You haven't started your raising capital. You haven't done anything. You're stuck. Uh, so you know what I'm going to do is I'll take it off your hands. Here's a check for 20 grand or whatever, 15,000 bucks. At least mm -hmm. you're getting something out of it at the end of the day. By making those contacts and having those relationships and the more people we start to connect with, that's when you start to see opportunities. Don't expect opportunities to come. Build harmonious relationships with people. Be authentic and be real. But you just never know what can kind of come out of it just from networking events like this. But to your point, build relationships with contractors and property managers and lands. Like these are all fantastic relationships that people just really don't spend any time thinking about it, but they're kind of the, one of the first people that get a, a small glimpse of what possibly is going to be happening with the property before it becomes available. So what would you recommend to actually start building out that kind of relationship? Like, networking events or like are you putting yourself out on social media or are you going to actually start making a cold calling on some of the vendor list how do you actually start building up, up that kind of a deal flow number one the best way to start is start building out your investment team and, and that's it has to start there but I, first of all identify who you need like uh, like again the simplest one's obviously property managers accountants and all these people and those are your kind of general individuals that you would work with but really start to communicate what exactly you're asking them for and what what you're ask what you're looking for too, right? So when you're talking to like a photographer, he knows exactly the type of segment that I'm looking for. And at the same time, your contractor, same thing. So 
make sure you're communicating all the things that you're looking for in, in a property and you know how much capital that you have. It's going to dictate what the types of properties you're looking for. Every discussion that you're having, because again, we're having discussions right now. It's just like, you know, what type of properties are you looking for? Communicate, tell people, because then when an opportunity may be uh, presented to yourself, Andrew, and you're like, hey, I got this property. I'm, I'm interested in offloading this 20-unit apartment building in Calgary. And now we just had a discussion about a 20-unit property. Um, yeah, I might have somebody that might be interested in taking it off your hands. It, these are the discussions that constantly should be happening. But if you're not being visible out there, you're never going to find anything. Like you, there's all these investors that are trying to find ways that are being creative. What are you going to do that's going to be a little bit different than everybody else? So that deal flow is going to start to come your way, but it has to start with relationships. I'm a big believer that you know you shouldn't have just one realtor and i don't know if people are going to not like me for saying <laughs> yeah. this either but yeah. you, you really do you should have lots of different relationships because those realtors have different relationships you should have lots of relationships with different property management companies again it's about building these relationships exactly like we said is maybe they've got an opportunity within their portfolio that they don't want that they don't want to, to be removed but you've built that relationship with them taking them out for lunch or dinner or whatever the case may be and all of a sudden that stuff starts to kind of come your way. But I can't say this anymore. Like relationships is so crucial in this business. And if you think you're just going to stand behind the computer and, and, and just build relationships that way, you, you do, I do believe in events. I do believe there's just something towards connecting with people. And it's not that you can't build relationships on social media. That's the one thing the last couple of years is, is taught me a lot is it's very powerful. We've got lots of different mediums to build relationships where I don't physically need to meet them. But at the end of the day, there's just something great about doing in person in person. Yeah. From my perspective, you need to do all of it. The whole thing. Is it a lot of work? Yes, it is. But if you really, you will see the benefit that comes from this when you start to do that. Yeah. This is a job of a real estate investor. But it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the most important ones, right? Yeah. So. And by the way, I think you mentioned one thing that we ha actually have been uh, telling people and sharing with other people is that don't try to do the B2C approach like business, like us as a business owner to like individual landlords only. Like try mm -hmm. to build a relationship through B2B2C, mm -hmm. right? Build a, build a relationship with a business owner in the real estate and then figure out how to leverage their connection with their, their clients and it's a lot more effective because you should, you only need to end up talking to maybe 10 15 investor focused agents in your in the asset class that you're looking for and then get them to actually hook you up with a with a right buyer I agree. or yeah. right yeah. seller i, I think people will be surprised because there's a lot of businesses that have opportunities <clears throat> presented to them but they're just not in a position or unaware of how to capitalize on it mm -hmm. so other businesses always have networks they're just not necessarily focused the way you are at doing whatever it is you're trying to do so as long as you tender it out there everybody's in the business to make money just be prepared to commission people off and you're gonna be there's your deal flow yeah you know that's it exactly that you know as soon as you give them a check for whatever uh, people are motivated they're, they're motivated like <laughs> and, and especially if they're not expecting it they're just yeah. like you know what it's just yeah you brought this deal and they might be just kind of kind and then you cut them a check for whatever 1500 bucks depending yeah. on the deal just like wow and sometimes it's not even a big deal like small something could be small little things i like gift card to like the keg or something like that just like <laughs> yeah. thanks that was really really nice <laughs> yeah. or you know it, it makes such it's the small little things exactly you, know? you go top of the mind sometimes i reference movies tv shows all the time because they illustrate things and there's a message behind yeah. it and sometimes things seem very like mafia gangster mobster so where you see people give them a check and say when i need you yeah. <laughs> here's an envelope it is. when i need you answer the phone yeah and people remember that i mean you don't have to go do about it like that but you treat people people gesturing demonstrating that you think of them so they ought to think of you yes goes a long way I, I and agree. this is relationships right? relationship. so it's not it's not so superficial alfonso yesterday was saying at the event when you're having conversations don't just listen to people so that you can say your next piece mm -hmm. that's not how connections are built no. and i think he i think that was very important 
that people realize and understand that. When so you have those types of conversations, be authentic in regards to how can I support you guys? Like, how can I do, what can I do to help you? When you're paying attention of trying to find a way to help this person, you're paying attention, you're looking, and maybe it's a lead, maybe it's a contact, whatever it is. And, and But that goes a long way that, hey, not only is this person paying attention, he's trying to help. Mm-hmm. And then they want to do the same thing just in return. That's a true relationship behind the scenes. So much more than the, just the dollars and cents. But it's the one thing that I've noticed a lot is a lot of people really don't, I don't understand why, they don't do thank you very, very well. They really don't. Is they'll, they'll, they'll take advantage, but they just don't reciprocate back that thank you in, in regards to be it a little commission check or a gift card or whatever it is. But by doing it, you're differentiating yourself because you are standing out by offering something where most people just don't do that and they make you want nice. to do it more. Give value. Yeah. Give value, always. We talk about the deal <laughs> source. How do we raise capital? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Okay, set part two podcast <laughs> coming. <laughs> well, we're going to be here for a while, right? So, you know what? Honestly, it's kind of a lot of what we're just talking about right now, to be very honest with you, is mm-hmm. is it is about being visible, being aware, um showcasing that you are an authentic person. And and so we kind of talked about this at the event yesterday. It's like you're not selling a deal. I've never been a believer in this. Is you're selling yourself and and people are wanting to understand who you are, your character, your personality. Is this somebody that I believe in? Um, and th- this is the real question that, you know, for your audience, and I could have maybe highlighted this a little bit more even in the event, is this. This is what they're thinking. I got a half a million dollars. If I give Andrew a half a million dollars, is he going to go to Belize with that? That's the obstacle that you need to overcome as a real estate expert is the trust factor. And that's one of the things I shared. When they say, I trust Andrew with my money, he's not going to Belize with my money. I know that for a fact. And I and I have confidence that he knows what he's saying and doing. Mm-hmm. I trust Andrew. And so that's what you're trying to position. So when you talk about how do I raise money is, first of all, you have to be visible. You have to be authentic. You have to be able to share your vision, things that you're working on, things that you're doing, um, even share some of the success. You share success stories, but honestly, what really sells, and it's going to sound strange, so weird, is by being a little bit vulnerable because by being vulnerable, you're being actually real. Like, cause you know, I always joke around about Lamborghini guy. This is the, you know, the guy's driving Lamborghini because real estate, that's, that's all you do is you buy real estate and you buy Lamborghinis. And, and, and we all know that there's so much more challenges and obstacles that come along with this. And so with that being said, you have to kind of be authentic and share some of the things that didn't go well, but what were some of the real big lessons that were learned? But, and, and because people res, people will resonate with that and they're just like, you know what? Thank you for being real. Thank you for being real. Now, I trust what you're saying and doing versus just trying to showcase how wonderful all this stuff is. And that's a lack of trust because they're just like, what's what's the catch? What's going on, yeah. right? But by you saying, hey, this was a $10,000 mistake. Boy, did I learn some real good lessons out of this thing and never to do it again. And now you're, but what you're also doing is being consistent and, and continuing to push forward even during times of challenge. That's what's resonating with a lot of people. So how do I present myself as that person, that person of uh, being authentic and trustworthy? Because that's what you're trying to overcome. They want to be part of your journey. So even if you're just getting started and you're saying, I'm really excited about buying my first single family property. This is, this is what I'm striving for. This is what I'm working for. Just got my line of credit set up. I'm now brought my realtor team. I've just did a video introducing my investment team. It's following those steps every single way. And, and people are, it's like watching kind of a series of a, of a, a great show that you're enjoying, right? Game of Thrones or whatever it is, yeah. right? Game of Mike. But it's like, <laughs> whatever it is, it's following those each and every single of those episodes to see how things are kind of progressing. And so the more you can kind of be consistent 
of every single step that you're doing. As I shared in the event, it's not the guys that are liking or commenting that are the ones that are going to invest in you. That's not them. It's the guys that are just sitting, waiting, just watching. That's all they're doing. They're just mm -hmm. watching and paying close attention, but they're watching. And it's funny how many people I met yesterday is just like, Mike, I've been following you for the last two years. I had no idea who these people yeah. are. They never messaged you. <laughs> no, I don't know anybody, right? None of these people. But again, it, that, these are the people that I'm talking about. Were they capital? Probably not. But again, they were, they've been following and watching what I've been doing. And so that's exactly what you're needing to highlight is it's yeah. so much more than the deal than it is the individual in itself. Yeah, that's a feeling that I just, uh, I just had when we first met downstairs. I'm like, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know you. <laughs> first time meeting you. Yeah, but. but you know, to maybe add to that, it, and you'll be surprised, the more you do those types of things, the more visibility that you have mm. out there, just be, be out there and, and, and share. Still to this day, I never send deals out. I never throw it out there because it's something I don't believe. Yeah. But how many messages and emails that I get, and, and honestly, I, I'm not trying to brag, but it's probably on the weekly of saying, Mike, I've been following you for a year or two years. I've got $200,000 and I'm interested in investing with you. I don't know this person, but they know me somehow, some way. Yeah. But I've never pitched a deal because I don't have any deals to pitch, yeah. and, but people are wanting to work with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Relationship building, there's various ways to do it. You can do it in person. There's, it's faster, it's more meaningful. Sure. It's faster, it's not as scalable because you only have so much time, yes. but having an online presence will oh, definitely do that to you. Huge. I want to quickly touch on one thing. We're, I, we're, we're talking about capital raising, and you mentioned that trust is one is pretty much, it's, it's on the top of the list. One. It's the top number of the list. One. The thing that I think people will find interesting being that when you asked uh, what, is, what is it that you're looking for in a money partner, most people said silence. Right. Mm. And that was like kind of like a joke. But the thing is that silence actually comes from trust. Totally. People will be quiet when they trust you. People are loud yes. when they have lost faith, when they don't know, yes. think you know what you're doing, or they yes. are uncertain of you. Yes. And now you're in a bad partnership. Yes. So it's kind of cyclical, right? Trust is very important. And if you can tackle the top three things, as you mentioned before, and we'll probably go through them, silence comes, <laughs> right? Because that's the recipe. It's tit for tat. People sometimes say, what is it that I want from people? Yeah. And how will this person be good for me? But people need to also ask the question, how am I good for them? That's brilliant. Because that's exactly the way I like to believe in it too. It's like, this is a two-way street. And, and, and this is going to sound really strange because a lot of people think that, you know what, I'm just, I'm looking to raise money. I need a million bucks. So I'm going to talk to Ping because I know Ping's got a million bucks. I don't, I don't care about his personality. I don't care about his vision and goals. I know he's got it. I know he's got a million bucks. Perfect. That's the person I want to work with. As a real estate expert, we should be interviewing the money partner more so than the other way around, okay? Because that's the relationship you've got to contend with in your business for the next four, five years, even six months. Can I deal with that person, yes or no? So you got to be honest with yourself and ask that. I had a really interesting conversation about a year ago, actually. Some guy reached out to me and the first thing that he said to me, Mike, I've been following you, da, 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 da. I will be your last money partner that you will ever need. That's what he said. He's like, because he's attention grabbing <laughs> statements. That's exactly what he said. And he came in with absolute like arrogance and cockiness. And I searched him out after high net worth individual. But what he was also dictating is I don't want to, my structure, if I'm going to loan you money, is based on this. This is the way I want the structure is if we're to work together, but you will never need to raise money ever again. I was kind of surprised to hear that type of feedback, but my immediate response was no. Right off the bat, I was not comfortable with this relationship at all whatsoever. Mm. And secondly, I'm like, I actually really don't need your money to be to be very frank. But the personality right off the bat was just such a turnoff. I 
I don't care how much capital, I just could not work with that person yeah. whatsoever. Sounds right? like a bad relationship. It would have been, Literally it would have been, <laughs> been there, done that, mm. and you learn from those lessons. And if there's something I can teach you guys, you know, people are listening to this podcast, is just like, listen to that inner voice and ask yourself, can I really work with this person? Yeah, you might be a little bit in a position of desperation, but you know, this is why you always have the capital first before you find the deal. It makes your life so much easier because it gives you time, that, the gift of time to kind of scrutinize and scrub that this individual and really ask yourself, can I be in a relationship with this person? Yes or no. Um, and if the answer is no, make it a no. I love it. Cause a lot of people, especially when they first get into a bigger deal where capital becomes a little bit more intensive, yes. all of a sudden they get a little desperate with, totally. the, with that money, with that resource. So they will say yes to anything, but they've skipped a step where we need to qualify the money partner as well. Is there a specific way that you structure your deal? I understand that every deal might be slightly different, but yeah. how do you, do you have a framework that, that you can kind of share? It really depends on the deal itself. And it does, you know, the, in a lot of cases, if it's a smaller deal, then, you know, I go simple, uh, simple joint venture structure. It's pretty simple. It's not too complex. Just a corporation that holds the, uh, the property. And then we have a joint venture with our, with our operating company as well. So it keeps it really simple. Some of our bigger assets will be GPLP structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really depends. It really depends on the investment plan, the strategy, you know, is this going to be a longer term hold? How many investors that we look for? Like for, for me, and, and this is one of the things I kind of shared at the event, I only try to source quality partners. That's it. You know, we're looking for accredited investors, obviously, in that situation. But even my investment capital amounts are significantly high. Like, you know, I'm not interested in $50,000 share structures at all. It's like $150,000, $200,000 share structures. I only want the people that have got the big bucks. And the reason why I'm saying that is it makes my life easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I joke around is that I am an extremely lazy investor. And and, and I, I joke around because I am. I want to do as little work as I possibly can. As we started this whole discussion is why I'm in do, why am I doing this in the first place is to spend more time and quality time with my family. But if I've got 20 people in an investment, um, that is okay. That's 20 people I have a responsibility for that I have to continue to manage. Right. And so if I can have a lot less people in there in the acquisition, then it's a lot less contacts and relationships and, and all of that stuff. So you know, I even challenge people. I, I I don't know if I remember sharing this or not, but I, I remember somebody having a deal for like a million, they were trying to do a million dollar raise, a million bucks, and they had a $10,000 minimum investment. So that would have been a hundred partners. hundred voices. hundred voices. Oh man. hundred situations, good. right? So Mike, you know what? I need that money back. Like, and, and $10,000, that's a scary number because sometimes that is all they've got. And yep. again, they're one job loss away from that phone call coming to you, which is just a headache that's not worth it right yeah Yeah. life happens to people and even the thing is that even when you're when you're dealing with smaller amounts even when you say hey make sure that you're investing your investment money not your savings not your kids tuition fund not the money that you're going to need and if you and this is why i think it's good to find people who are seasoned (coughs) with Mm. this kind of thing often seasoned people will invest with people they already have invested with very much very often unless they're looking to diversify branch out build new relationships fine but the thing is that when you're starting off, and that's the thing, a lot of people are starting off, they're trying to find creative ways to make things happen. And capital raising is hard, especially when you're starting off. You don't have credibility, yeah. you don't have network, yeah. and people watch all these videos that tell you you have to fake it till you make it, but that's not a very good way to no. build trust. So what do they do? So people often take people's savings, and things become very challenging, because that's when you get blowback. Other people who are seasoned, they know how to wait it out. Like you're saying you do five, six-year minimums, yeah. right? Gives you lots of breathing room. You have lots of adjustment time, but try adjusting the small market. Try adjusting right now. 
if you have to adjust. <laughs> exactly. It's challenging. So people need to people need to do this. I want to quickly touch on the the structure because you mentioned at the event that uh, you you illustrated the 50-50 structure mm-hmm. where it's 50% for the uh, partner. active partner yeah. and 50% for the money partner. And you said you're not a big fan of that structure. We're no. also not, but I would like to hear why. Yeah, so for, truthfully, and, and the reason why is, again, this is experience and knowledge is I got in the business of real estate investing to generate profits and and, and make money. And um, I was putting my investor hat on, not my entrepreneur hat. And so that came to a realization very quickly. I started acquiring a bunch of properties and cash flow. And yeah, you had that nice trickle effect of, of the cash flow side of things in the business. Um, but guess what? You know, you have interest rates hikes or you have increase in vacancy. Guess what happens? The cash flow starts to disappear. So now you're te- technically working kind of for free in a lot of ways as, as a real estate expert. And somebody who's trying to do this full time, um, you still need to buy milk for your kids and and food it's just not a sustainable part of your business and so the way i kind of preach this and teach this is this is a business first and foremost and 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 this is going to sound really really bad but that's okay but (laughs) truthfully is you need to take care of you first this is your business and you need to be sustained first before anybody else and so you want to make sure that you are getting compensated to do and run this business on a daily basis for the success of the entire venture. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when there is no cash flow in the asset, for whatever reason, it shouldn't really significantly impact the real estate expert. And again, it's going to sound really bad because you as an entrepreneur still need to survive. You need to be able to, to just to be able to manage this, this business. And so with that being said, I'm happy to give a little bit of a higher percentage on the equity side, but I am going to be taking more on the income side to help sustain myself for me. If we're in a position where we're bleeding money and it forces us to maybe look for a different uh, option for the income source, yes. guess what? The investors are going to be really, really nervous because my priority is no longer on the asset. Obviously, it needs to be profitable. We have to be able to figure out a way to monetize. And that's why we're so against on that 50-50 structure because yeah. we interview so many people who talk about 50-50 and then we're like, okay, so you're at your seventh or eighth project. Why do you still have a full time job? Exactly. It. It's, yeah. it's like that. That that concept seems weird. It's to amazing me. that you can meet so many people who have so many units and still need to work the job. It almost makes other people listening to this be like, okay, well, I mean, there's either there's something wrong here or yeah. real estate investing sucks. It's exactly <laughs> it. And see, for me, that happened to me. So I came to that conclusion, and I think it was funny. You just you must you brought the number up. I think it was like eight. Got eight properties, and it was doing fine. And I wish I could remember what the situation is. Something happened. It, welcome to the game of real estate investing. There's always something that's happening. It's vacancies. It's increase. It's whatever interest rate. Interest always something changes. Then guess what happened to the money? It's gone. Like it just disappears. Well, doing this, you know, as you know, we were talking last yesterday. I left my job late 2007, 2008 not the best time to be a real estate, full-time real estate investor, man, that was some pain, like a lot of pain. That year was so painful that, you know, we were going into our personal savings and everything accordingly got just to survive. And I had to blow it up. Like I had to blow up our structure. There was not a lot of information back then, believe it or not, like everything that we're doing, like even here, what we're doing today, there was no YouTube or Instagram or Facebook. There was none of that stuff that was there. We had a little bit of structure, but a lot of the people were talking 50-50 splits. It's, it's not a lot of clarity. And I'm like, how do, I, how do I make this a full-time business? I can't do it in this type of fashion. And that's when I had to kind of stop looking at it from an investor's perspective. It, it was still an important piece, but I had to kind of come back to a blend of entrepreneur first and investor. So the business is real estate investing. Investing was my business. 
but the business needed to be successful for this investment side to, to work as well. And so that's where we kind of had to blow this thing up and say, listen, there has to be an income from yeah. this thing. Has to be. In the social media world of real estate, it's a very sexy industry. Sure. Right? And we say this all the time. I feel like I say it too much maybe, but people don't often like to talk about how cash poor people are today. Like they might describe it in the form of landlords. Landlords are all cash poor. That, that gets said. But if you have the title of investor, I'm <laughs> proud. People don't always talk about how those commitments, because there are so many long games, Yeah, there's not a lot of now yeah. happening. Mm -hmm. And now people are suffering. People have to eat today. So imagine for people who get into these JVs, and they're active partners. Yeah. They're not getting any income. And in order to get that 50% equity, you're probably rolled in a lot of work, property management, recollection, all those things you described yeah. in, your, in, your, in your presentation, actually, just an array of responsibilities. And then the market declines. You may have been better off working a job. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent, and that doesn't seem very attractive. If you reverse that role and tell all these people, if you guys have five hundred thousand dollars, and I say you're going to put five hundred thousand dollars into this, and we're going to do this project, I'm going to do all the work, and you're going to sit back and we're going to split the profits. A lot of them would not feel okay with that because yeah. they value their money more likely, mm -hmm. and also their money's guaranteed today. Your work in the future is not guaranteed. Correct. Where credibility, trust, and all those things that you mentioned, integrity, come into play. Yes. What can you present that's more understandable? People understand. Hey, you do work, you get paid for work. Yeah. And you can work that into your agreement. Totally. Right? So that yeah. way you at least get some money out now yeah. so you don't suffer. And if you don't suffer, your business doesn't suffer. You've just sold it. Like you, what you just sold, what you just said, <laughs> like what you just said is what you need to share to your money partner. It's it. There's nothing more that needs to be said. I think people are not being ridiculous. Like they're not stupid to this. You got to remember are, the people that we're talking to, these money partners, there's not a lot of sophistication. They, they don't know real estate investing like we do, right? They understand that they want to get into real estate because they want a better life. They want a better diversification of their investments, whatever the situation is. So whatever you're presenting to them is what they're listening to. And if you say, listen, I need to do it structured in a different way. And you don't even need to say the term different. I need to structure it this way where I'm getting compensated kind of on a monthly basis because guess what? You see my son there, my 18-year-old son, he eats like a horse. I got to be able to feed him. And unfortunately, that's the structure there. And so the way I always present it is money partners, you get 100% of the cash flow. As part of the expense, there is a fee that's being associated off the gross rent. And this is no, this is no different of an expense as a utility bill, property taxes, you put it on there. That's called the Mike Pondy Feed My Son Fund, right? And that's really what it is. That's the structure. And if they don't like it, then maybe somebody else that wants to do a 50-50 is better suited for them. But to make it work for me and what I'm striving for in my business, this is the typical structure. And since kind of making that evolution years ago, that just opened up the world completely. Like now you can understand how to become a full-time real estate investor because so many people, it is pie in the sky. There's so much, it's just, it's, it's all fluff and cloudy and, and you know, fluff and, and when I say cloudy, it's like more heavenly and stuff like that, right? It's just like, <laughs> there's just not a lot of clarity to it, right? They just yeah. don't understand it. And so when you're kind of going down this road and you're buying eight or 10, 12 properties, you should be doing some absolutely amazing things and you should be flowing and you're know, swimming in cash. And then it's not happening. You're like you really question what's going on is because to be honest, you're set up incorrectly from the very beginning, which was part of the discussion is your business structure is not, is, is flawed. 
and that's what it is. Yeah. And, and there's an investment structure, but it's your business structure that needs to be corrected. And that's that's what I was saying earlier is people go in as investors, not realizing they become entrepreneurs. And and so you need to kind of create that blend of both. Yeah. yeah. Or at least understand that where you're going. Yes. It's yes. okay, I think, to not become an entrepreneur, but then maybe you know balance it out accordingly. When we started raising capital, I think like back in 2017, <clears throat> that was a well, actually, we started around like 2016 for some flips and all that. But the moment that we got into the multifamily and we started raising capital, we quickly realized that 50-50 was more like a selling the dream for a lot of uh, yeah. uh, educational companies out there. When we realized that, we actually said that, hey, this is a better way to do it. When mm -hmm. everybody's offering 50-50, where they take 50% of your equity, we only take, let's say, 30% or 40 uh, or 35%. Yeah. And then, uh, but we do have a certain fee that we need to deduct you know, for the operation because the moment that we're not in there, we need to be able to budget uh, for other company or third party uh, companies to operate the projects for us. Yep. And that is, I feel like everybody understands that way better. On top of that, yeah. when everybody else is selling 50-50 and we're offering 70-30, <laughs> it makes our deal sell way better. It yeah. does. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but once you kind of change the, it, it is just really a little bit of an adjustment of it. At the end of the mm -hmm. day, you know, the way I look at the structure in a lot of ways, it's probably still a 50-50. It's just, it's just the way it's actually structured. Exactly, yeah. Right? And yeah. so- you know, I know there's things that we're probably not talking about, but at the end of the day, there's lots of ways to skin this thing and there's no right right way to do it. And I was talking to uh, one of the people yesterday, actually, it was kind of funny. And there, and, and I'm like, for me, my structure is not always the same. And, and, and when I say splits, so we're talking about splits, is, you know, you're referencing, you know, paying it over, you know, 60, 60, 30 or 60, 40 or, say, you know, 70, 30 or whatever it is. When I talk to partners, I'm like, this deal is 60, 40. The next deal may be 65 to me, 45 to you. It is deals dependent. If there's a big opportunity in this in this investment, as I said before, this is my business first and foremost, and I'm looking for partners to facilitate this. But if there's a lot of, lot of cash that's or a lot of equity, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be compensated for this. But at the same time, I'm going to make sure that my partners are also going to be very happy with their returns as well. So I always tell them, I'm like, just because this is the deal of this past one, it can vary and slightly adjust no matter what. It's just really depending on the deal de deal dependent. I will always make my money partners whole. Always make sure that they will always get a good return on their investment because my, the way my belief is, I don't want a money partner for five years. I want a money partner for 20 years. I want, and, and the only way that that works is that they're happy Everything that they've been, uh, you know, getting regular communication, they're, they're supportive. There's nothing, nothing more rewarding. You know, that deal I was sharing with you in Moncton where we pulled, a, we sold it for about half a million bucks. I had one big partner in there. And so I gave him his initial check back for his initial investment and I gave him his profit check. So he got two checks. I'm like, here you go. Here you go. Thanks. And he's like, why are you giving this to me? I don't push, want, it, yeah, push it right back. <laughs> do something else. I don't want any of this. You know, nothing more rewarding than that. Oh, yeah. Nothing awesome. more rewarding. When we talk about there's a lot of positive things when you set things up right. Yes. I'm sure you will have had to deal with difficult conversations or even investors that come across their own challenging times. Somebody must have asked you at some point for money back. Yeah. Early. Oh yeah. How do you manage those relationships? How do you preserve them? Yeah, it's it's not easy sometimes. You know, there. You know, I had a situation as soon as you said that. You know, the first person I had a person in my mind. You know, so I had an individual that uh, he went all in. So he, you know, we we had a certain uh, a capital raise that we needed to, to to facilitate. We had a specific share structure there, and he went all in. He bought all the shares, every single one. So I had one partner for this entire deal. I can't remember the number. It was pretty significant, right? Bought the property, put it under contract and kind of the story that I shared a little bit, it, it was probably close to 45 days after we closed. Mike, 
I need a hundred thousand dollars back out of this deal. But we just closed. We set up a corporation. It's all set up. I didn't understand what's kind of what's happening here, right? We were able to manage through getting him paid out a hundred thousand dollars. So we had to sell off one of his shares to do that. But what a pain in the you know what that was. Sixty days later, after that, guess what? I got another phone call from the same person again. So he was in a financial position needing another hundred grand out of this deal. As we know, as investors, I don't want to be spending my time and energy focusing on repaying people back within that period of time to a short period of time. It's, it's just too much headache. I, I want to be more focused on the deal, the opportunity, not we've, we've just completed this. Yeah. So it's not always easy. And, and to answer your question, so here's an example of not vetting the person properly. Okay. So we actually sold the asset. We made a lot of money. He was very happy and he wanted to give me his money back. You know what I did is I actually gave it back to him. That was the end of the relationship. So it came to the conclusion of the types of people I'm looking for as well. And so it worked out for him because he was able to make his money, but he also was able to have a little bit more flexibility. He, he, he believed that, hey, if I was in a dire strait, I can always come back mm -hmm. to the piggy bank and just and get it. It's mm -hmm. like a bank machine. Not a bank, yeah. Mm -hmm. And because it happened then, I had to anticipate that if I'm working on another deal in the future with him, that could possibly happen again because he's done it. We've done it before. So I had to kill that mm -hmm. relationship. So it's not always easy. So you got to have those discussions. Um, and this is why it's so crucial to kind of screen your partners in advance to make sure that you can facilitate that. So sometimes when we talk, like even yesterday when we're doing the panel on like renovations, on such a short time, there's a lot of perspective that gets lost, especially when, mm -hmm. let's say, uh, Varos was explaining, you know, why he does what he does. And the thing is that there are stages, right? An evolution mm -hmm. of an investor where they will operate at certain levels, right? For example, you illustrated a difficult situation, but you had already established a certain amount of infrastructure, investments that you can liquidate. You had options. Yes. Some people, when they're raising capital, especially for people who are getting into it, they will not have an opportunity to liquidate something else in order to pay people back. So have you ever had an option or a situation where somebody needed money, and let's say it was earlier on, and there was just not really any way for you to get them out in I, a reasonable amount of time? Yeah, so for me... I, I've never really had that situation. And this is kind of part of the discussion that I've always uh, highlighted is you never stop raising money ever. Like, cause sometimes you do need to make some adjustments. So you're and, substituting and positions. Always su substituting positions. And this is really, really important for those that are listening is if your project is requiring a hundred thousand dollars as an, as a capital raise, raise three, $400,000 before you do that acquisition. Because the, the rule of thumb that I always tend to find is whatever money you think you have reduce that by about 15 or 20%. Cause that's probably more the sweet spot. People will always walk away. People are just whatever, flake out or whatever. Yeah. No offense to them to that to that comment, but truthfully, it's just they they, they get nervous or whatever yeah. the situation is. And sometimes things happen. You know, the one I've had this happen, I think two or three times. People going through a divorce. Okay, yeah. not not a very comfortable discussion. And so they're either wanting to liquidate. We've also tried to work different structures and say, okay, well, why don't we split the structure in this way if you want to stay in? Mm -hmm. So, but my point is, we've always had options always had that opportunity and sometimes it's having some uncomfortable discussions and say listen we can't at this moment it just doesn't make any sense at this at this stage yeah. and um and i think that's where it really goes back to the simplicities of this is this is a partnership we all go in with our eyes open with the term and mm -hmm. and have clarity to what the timeline is for everybody understanding the exit strategy but at the same time when we have those types of discussions that come along it's just like well we can yeah but you got to be prepared for the penalty that's going to be coming along with this because you're needing to exit early. And yeah. this, again, this is a different discussion because I'm still in, I still want to stay in, but I'm not taking the hit on this penalty because of what you're trying to accomplish yeah. this, right? So it's not a very easy discussion, 
But this is where, as an entrepreneur and a business professional, you have to kind of be, you have to be solid and, and, and firm in some cases, but more importantly, have as many options as you possibly can, be it exit strategy, be it capital raising strategies, but you should always be in a position where you're always ready to, you're always able to, to make some adjustments if need be. How many people will know to raise significantly more than what you need? How many people have raised money? tried to go into a deal and then last minute a few of their investors backed out yes i used to host parties and i know that i can expect a 30 percent drop off of the guest list always similarly when you raise money you should expect a certain percentage it might be about 30 yep. percent depending on who you're raising from yep. that's going to have cold feet so always raise more is definitely good advice and i think it also goes back to when when you get coached you're you have the fortune of being able to set things up correctly from the start Yep. We spoke to somebody who said the contracts are very important because if you write the contracts correctly, you control your destiny. Mm-hmm. And there's no weird conversations afterwards about things Correct. being left out. And you don't know what to include. If you don't know what questions to ask, you're not going to be able to write good contracts. Agreed. If you don't know what problems are coming, you don't know how to protect yourself. Yep. So this is why. Get into rooms, talk to people like you. You're going to avoid a lot of scrapes and bruises. Yep, for sure. Okay, so honestly, I feel like we need to wrap up our conversation yeah. there. But if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, visit our website. Go to www.thesavvyinvestor.ca. You definitely follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, always have to chat. And if you want to set up a discovery call, just straight go to the website. Always happy to chat and, uh, and help support uh, uh, the, the investing community. So. Awesome. Savvy Investments indeed. We'll see you guys on the next one. Cheers.